Hi, everyone. Welcome to Change Starts Here. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And on this week's episode, we have the unique privilege to talk to Julie Morgenstern about her book, Time to Parent, which is a New York Times bestseller. Julie herself is a professional organizer and time management expert. And so today's episode, you're going to hear and learn about how to manage your time better, how can you relate to kids better, and ultimately, if you're a parent, she'll even talk to you about the blueprint for parenting. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm delighted to be here with you, Dustin. Really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. So to that, one of the things that I found really intriguing about your story is that you've been time management guru for 25 years or so. And somehow you've described yourself prior to that as someone being who is not very organized at all. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, please? Sure. So yes, I grew up a kind of notoriously disorganized person, really notorious. I had this bedroom on the fourth floor of our, uh, like a townhouse in center city, Philadelphia, that used to be kind of like the servants quarters. And I had the whole top floor and it was covered with piles of stuff. So bad that like once every six to eight months, my parents would send me to my room for the weekend and say, you cannot come out until there's a clear path from your door to your bed because someone's going to get hurt. (laughs) And I was late for everything. I was late for, I mean, you know, all through school, I was doing my work at the last minute. I would start it and it was always like midnight the night before it was due and just really lived in a lot of chaos. Um, The interesting thing was as chaotic as it was, I actually always pulled it off. I still got A's even though I started my work at the night before And all that chaos, but the cost was intense, right? Like there was a lot of stress, but I didn't mind because I was kind of a conquistador of chaos. That's, I still am. I've just tamed it in a better direction. Now I, it's other people's chaos. So what happened was when my daughter was born, when I became a mom, when she was like three weeks old, I realized I wanted to take her for a walk. I wasn't ready. I had to find the diaper bag. I had to pack up stuff and I missed the moment. It took me three hours to get ready to go for a walk. And I realized if I didn't get my act together, my child would probably never see the light of day. I'd never fill out the forms for school for her to go to school. And she would not, maybe it was okay for me to live in chaos, but it was not fair to do to another human. So I decided I had to get organized and I was afraid, honestly, because I was such a creative person that if I got organized, I would become a boring person. I was like, it's going to be rigid it's going to be structured and there's no spontaneity and there's no creativity, but I was willing to lose all of that to be a better mom. And I discovered, oh my gosh, You can get more done when you're organized. You can be more creative. You can be more spontaneous when you're organized than when you're not. So that was kind of my journey of learning myself to go from chaos to order before I started to help other people. Yeah, I think that to me is the part that really blows my mind is that there's a lot of us out there that really want to learn how to get better for ourselves or to overcome those challenges. How did you take it from... I want to get better as you know, for my family and my relationships to I'm going to help people worldwide and go on shows like Oprah and write for Forbes magazine and talk to us 
to want to change lives that way? How'd you get to that first step? Well, I got to that when I got divorced and I needed to not be in the theater anymore. And I needed work day during the work, work hours during the work day, not at night in the theater. And I was like, what can I do? I was like, oh, I can help people get organized because I understand what it's like to crave order, but not be able to make it happen. And I realized there was a lot out there about organizing that I just didn't agree with. It was like, oh, you know, just show up on time, just be disciplined, like rather judgmental messages, which I just did not really help me learn to get organized. So I thought I'm going to help other people. So I hung a shingle basically. And I placed an ad in something called the Big Apple Parents Paper because I knew working parents really struggle with time and organization. And it was a monthly publication that everyone kept on their coffee table for like six months, each issue as a reference. And I thought, you know, one $26 ad is going to last six months on everybody's coffee table. So I placed an ad and I got my first client and then that led to the next one and the next one. And I just, I think my empathy for what is the resistance to organization and how you can cross over to the other side is what's enabled me to be so impactful and effective and people really connect because they feel understood and not judged. Well, I, I know I can speak for many of the thousands of people and millions of people who've read your work um, that I thank you that you had the courage to go out and do this. And so my question for you is, you know, you've written several books before you got to the time to parent. Yeah. Why did you wait? And why were you inspired recently to, to write this book for us? My first book was Organizing from the Inside Out, and it did incredibly well and sort of became defining in the industry of how to design a system that will last because it's based on the unique way you think and time management from the inside out, never check email in the morning. What I found was over the years, I observed that probably 80% of my client base were parents. And the more my career grew, the more I spoke globally. And I saw the universality of parents in the Middle East, in Asia, in Europe, in South America, all over North America, city people, country people, suburban people, like all parents were all asking me the same questions which is how am I supposed to divide my time? And nobody had ever written that manual. And I know when, when my daughter was born, I was like, where's the manual? Like, why are there not time management brochures handed out in maternity wards with every baby that's born? <laughs> Isn't that what's on everybody's mind? Like, how am I supposed to do this? How do I make time for this new human? Then the second child, the third child, like, where are the time management brochures? So I, I realized it had never been written and all of the individual books sort of address particular problems, but not the unique challenge of how is a parent supposed to divide their time? And I, I, my own daughter was grown. I had time to think about it. I wasn't in the day to day. When you're parenting, you can't figure this stuff out. You just have to get through the day, but I was able to reflect and research. And, you know, I've been thinking about this my whole life, working with parents all over the world. I see the connections between people. I think I should take it on. Let me be the person who will boldly write the time management manual for parents. Well, I'll just tell you, my wife, Ashley, and I thank you very much. We have 
a seven-year-old who just turned seven two days ago. We have a, a soon-to-be five-year-old. And so they're two years apart. We felt like that was a good spacing. And then we were blessed with a four-month-old recently. And I know that you have a grandchild who's about the same age. And yeah. so I will just tell you that as both of us are former educators and love diving into learning and teaching and relating to our kids, that manual has never been more necessary than right now. So you and this work came into my life at the perfect time for us because we feel like we're starting over again. And thank you. <laughs> I learned as a time management expert and coach that job ambiguity in any role is a recipe for overwork and inefficiency and insecurity. If you don't know what your job is, how do you know when your day is done? And that is how parents have been operating. So this manual was designed to sort of like, let's define it. And then you can figure out your strengths and where you gravitate and what you sort of tilt away from. And it gives you a control panel to like feel in control and in balance and enough because that's a very unsatisfying feeling. You want us to, to dive into the first few parts and then go back in and out of, depending on what challenges we're facing in our life, what ages our kids are in. And I just find that so refreshing and so helpful. Yeah. You don't have to read the whole thing cover to cover. You just read the beginning and then dip in and out of the rest as needed. Right. To that, before we dive into a, what you call the blueprint for parenting, yeah. you kind of compared a little bit of a difference to what parents want and what kids want. Can you kind of explain that before we dive into the actual blueprint? The big mysterious question is how much time and attention do children need to feel loved and secure. That's the mystery. And as a time management expert, I knew kids crave attention, right? I Every adult that I ever worked with tied a lot of their chaos to like not getting enough attention as a kid, believe it or not. And actually it turns out there's science to support that, that if you don't get that kind of nurturance, it kind of interferes with your executive function and you can have trouble with organization, which is all repairable, so nobody should panic. But kids crave time and attention from their parents. Humans crave time and attention from other humans. It's how we feel we matter. And even as an adult, anybody who gives you authentic time and attention and enters your world and asks you authentically, how are you? Or sees you for who you are or remembers that, oh, you're you're, aren't, aren't you into like making pasta? Didn't you tell me that? How's that going? You feel seen, you feel recognized, you feel valuable. And kids crave that. And parents actually want to give that to their kids. And parents, all parents want is the ability to be present, right? What I did for the book was I spent about eight years researching the question, how much time and attention do kids need? So the parents can show up and be present for it and not feel they're falling short. And that was kind of the beginning of the book where I shared the results of the research that I did to answer that question. What is the answer to the question of how much time and attention do kids need? Only until you understand that you can start to organize your time around them. So here's what I found out. What children thrive on is short bursts of like five to 15 minutes at a clip. Um, of truly undivided attention, delivered consistently, not big blocks of time delivered occasionally or erratically. It's just short bursts built into the fabric of their day. So it's, if you think about, 
And why? Because kids have short attention spans and many experts say you should calculate about a minute for each age of life. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Five-year-old has about a five-minute attention span for a really like intense one-on-one. And then they're like off to the next thing. 15-year-old, 15 minutes. And building it into the fabric of the day is just around the, the everyday routines. When they first wake up, when you separate to go to work and they go to school or daycare, when you come back together, the end of the day, dinner and bedtime. There's these key transitions. If we focus as parents or caretakers on spending the first one, five, ten minutes of each reconnection with our kids in the day on entering their world and seeing how are you doing, then you can get to the business of life and the chores and the errands and the work and did you do your homework and all that. But you first connect, first moments matter. That's what gives kids the sense that they are loved. It's not that you have an incredible quality time once a week. It's the daily pulses. Right now, during the pandemic, where a lot of our parts of our country and our world are kind of shut down, we have our kids all the time. It's tough to turn off. And so trying to find those moments, what's your advice for folks going through the pandemic right now of how to do this? Think about when you can proactively deliver those moments, because there's the proactive that you want when your kid first wakes up, that you're going to like give them undivided attention maybe at dinner time and maybe at bedtime, like pick your moments that you can build into the day proactively. Then you have to deal with all the reactive stuff. Like they walk into the back of your Zoom. You walk out to go to the bathroom and your kid is there and they're like, oh, can you play a game? Like all the reactive stuff. So if you have the proactive built in, you can also talk to your kid about, here's my schedule for the day. You kind of have to like the day before lay out the day with your kids, have a daily huddle about the schedule, redo it in the morning. Here's when we will be able to connect and here's when we won't. That doesn't mean they won't still interrupt you. They're kids. But you can then titrate between, I really should stop and take this interruption or we talked about this and you you feel good. Like you had the connection an hour ago. You're going to have a connection in an hour. Right now is not a good time, kid. Go put your clothes on. And go play your game. So you have to sort of balance between the proactive and the reactive. What you said, go put your clothes on. I was thinking the next thing you said was, dad, can you wipe my butt? And I like (laughs) almost lost it. And so five minutes of time the night before and maybe again quickly in the morning of reminding and setting expectations on schedule. It's not a perfect answer because they're kids, but at least sets up expectations. And I find when I have done that, my kids... Uh, respond so much more appropriately. Yeah. And and don't expect your kids to remember your schedule. You can barely remember your schedule. <laughs> Nobody can remember each other's schedule. So those like huddles of reminders and say, you know, what are you going to do while I'm on this Zoom call recording this podcast? What activity? And you set your kids up with proactively, like you're going to work on this and this and this and this. So You have to take a very proactive approach to managing everybody's time and attention in a pandemic. I appreciate you taking time to go down that path with me. I got so excited to get to your blueprint because I've been talking about it since we started reading the book. My wife and I have already recruited like 10 other folks around me to start reading it around us. And so um, I just wanted to dive into your blueprint. So with that, 
Yes. Can you just lay it out there for us? We'll start with the part system. We're talking about the job description, like any job description. What is it that you as a parent actually have to divide your time between? Is it 8 million things? Is it two things? No, I say, here's the way to think about your time. First, divide your time into like two areas, raising a human and being a human, right? Because isn't that what we have to balance, right? We're not just parents, we're also people. And then to raise, uh, and each one of those has four parts. So to raise a happy, healthy human, we have to divide our time as the parents, the caretakers between four activities. And they spell an acronym, PART, as in doing your part for another person. Four different activities that take time. The P is for provide. We have to provide for our kids, right? We have to spend time working to make and manage money to pay for the things kids need. That's time spent providing. We have to spend time arranging. That's the A in the word part. Arranging the logistics of our kids' lives. Very time consuming. Are they going to school? Are they not going to school? What is their homework? What are we having for lunch? Who's doing the dishes? What are we going to, all those logistical decisions, the laundry, the cleaning, all of that. We have to spend time relating to our kids. That's the R. Relating, getting to know our kids is what we're talking about, the one-on-one time. And we have to spend time teaching our kids values and life skills under all circumstances. And now in this pandemic, we're playing a much bigger role in their education. We're homeschooling or remote learning and coordination, all that. So provide, arrange, relate, teach, P-A-R-D. That is the four things we have to divide our time between to raise a happy, healthy human. You have a self-assessment in this book that everyone can take. And so going through this first self-assessment of where I spend my time, you know, I'm hosting a podcast, so I feel comfortable in my abilities to relate to folks. Yet when I started analyzing, how do I relate to my seven-year-old and how do I relate to my five-year-old when I'm in that quadrant, am I actually relating or am I still in that teaching mode? Uh, And that to me has just been a simple thing. That's been a game changer for my current relationships with my kids. Yeah. And I think as parents, we do tend to uh, conflate those two or think of them as the same thing, that quality time with our kid, we're teaching them. No, they're really different. And so if you can imagine in the book, there's a, a graphic, but if everybody listening can just sort of imagine a grid, like a two by two, right? Provide, arrange, relate, teach. Relating and teaching are different in this way. Relating, we are entering our kids' world focused on topics and activities of interest to them, and we are the student of the child. When we're teaching our kids, we are bringing them into the adult world, talking about things, topics and activities of interest to us, and they are the students of us. We feel very different on the receiving end. They also feel different on the delivery. But, do you know, if someone's always trying to teach you, you're just like, really? Can you just listen to me? Can we just do what I want to do? Why are we always talking about and doing things that you want to do? Are you connecting? And relating is the hardest thing for parents to do. Do they teach out of love? You think your job is to just guide your kid. It's one of your jobs. But 
what people want is to be seen and known for who they are and find out who your kid is. Be the student of your child. Yeah, well, that's 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 critical because the best teachers, the best educators are people who know I need to learn who these folks are before they'll follow me. Right. And I used to with the teachers who worked with me and worked in the schools I worked with. Like I used to talk about that all the time. And it is amazing that it took <laughs> this moment to have me rethink that of like, how am I actually doing it for my kids? Cause I think I know them cause I'm around them all the time. Of course I know them, but I've not pursued them the same way I would pursue any of my students. And that was really something that changed my paradigm. That's awesome. It's just like, you need to sort of stop and reflect and go, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Right. How do you help folks figure out how to spend time appropriately? I think the key you said earlier was that my kids don't require me to be around for an hour per se, but I need to give them undivided time for the five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever we, we do. How do we figure out how to spend much time in teaching and then arranging and how, how do you navigate that world? Let's start with the relate and the teach. I think on the relate, there's a couple ways. A, recognize it's short verse. B, make sure that you have turned your cell phone over, closed your laptop, and you physically get eyeball to eyeball with your kid. That action actually will help you enter their world. Just the physical action of where, whatever their height is, you stoop down, you tiptoe up if they're a lanky, tall teenager, but you enter their world by getting eyeball to eyeball, and you must stop what you're doing. I also think that if you build in, and I talk about this in the book, making mindful transitions that when you don't like before you cross the threshold into where your kids are, set your intention before you cross that threshold that when I cross that threshold, I'm going to leave behind whatever work I had on my mind, ever housework that I had on my mind, my own to-do list. And I am going to let that kid know I'm interested in who they are. So you just sort of Take a beat and set that intention and make sure you like do it a couple times a day. I mean, it doesn't have to be all day. It doesn't have to be big blocks of time, but just physically make the transition. I sincerely am so excited about what you have and what you're trying to teach us here. And the part that was even more refreshing to me was that we have this guideline for how to better parent, right? I've got a, a blueprint and a job description of how to attack my parenting and judge it and constantly improve in different areas and move stuff around because life's going to happen. But the part that really blew me away was your importance. Uh, you've talked about of self. I've got to take care of myself so I can be president to parent. And I feel like so many of us would read, you know, who are leaders, I'm going to dive in this parenting thing. Let's go do it. Parts I'm all in and completely continue to forget about ourself. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose to break that down and what you learned? Yeah, I chose to break it down because of the reality that the years that we're raising our children happen to be the prime of our own adult development years. And no one talks about that. No one talks about the fact that while you're raising kids, you're establishing a career, you're building a marriage, you're building a circle of friends, you're discovering who you are. And we all have heard for years. Oh, remember to take care of yourself too. But what does that actually mean? And where the heck is that time supposed to come from? And we also have another obstacle, which is there's a built-in guilt that I think we feel as parents, we're supposed to sacrifice everything for our kids. And that's what noble parenting is. But I don't think that's true. Because if you 
completely sacrifice self in order to be there for your kids. Your kids are watching a terrible role model of what it means to be an adult. You're not exercising. You're not cultivating your own marriage. You're not cultivating your circle of friends. You're not sleeping well. And kids learn more from what we do than what we say. So I just don't think you can go the distance. We overestimate our ability to give without refilling. So for all those reasons, I was like, the years you're raising your kids is a balance between art and self. And I broke it down because it's not just one activity. And parents are like, oh, I'll take 15 minutes of self-care once a week. What do I do with it? Do I nap? Do I exercise? Do I call my mother? Do I like have a, like, what do I do with that 15 minutes? And that's not balance. That's not, that doesn't work. So I came up with this acronym, SELF. My wife and I thinking, okay, I'm going to sneak away right now. And it just doesn't work. We don't get rejuvenated. So please tell me and everybody else, how do we take care of ourselves? Okay, so use the word SELF as an acronym. So doing your part is one and fueling yourself, S-E-L-F. These are the four different components of self-care that are all essential and all play a different role. S is for sleep. We have to sleep and rest in order to recharge our brains. We have E is for exercise, formal or otherwise movement that just gives us energy to keep up with our kids, keep up with our jobs, keep the brain going. L is for love, cultivating our adult love relationships. And F is fun. And fun, even though you can have fun doing anything, that's true if you have a good optimistic spirit. But by fun, I mean the hobbies or passions that are so unique to you that when you do those, you feel like you. And so many parents throw all that out the window and say, I'm going to get to that when all my kids are in college. And then you have lost your mooring. And when you can find short versions. We'll talk about how you fit it in. But it's so important when you're giving to your kids and giving to your job and giving to your community, get regrounded in who you are. It enables you to give more. Really does. Makes it different. This is the part that I kind of reflected on when I was right out of college, a, a new teacher trying to give my all to my students and would wake up incredibly early and be up incredibly late. And I could always just say, I don't have time to sleep. I don't have time to exercise. And now as a parent, it comes even worse. I believe you touched somewhere in, in the book about how exercising actually produces endorphins and dopamine that gives you, I mean, it, so exercising leads to more energy, which leads to your ability to sleep. It's crazy how the kind of catalyst that you talk about there. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? When you get enough sleep, you're more empathic. How are you supposed to nurture your kids if you're so sleep deprived that that part of your brain, the empathic part of your brain is just closed. You're just like, I don't get it. I can't relate. So sleep and exercise does, it gives you the energy endorphins and it also gives you the perspective. What is parenting but problem solving? All day, every day, solving problems. How can you solve problems when you are sleep deprived? How can you solve problems when you don't take care of yourself and sort of just think about a 15 minute walk that's just for you or 20 minutes, you just feel like a new person and you get new perspective on those problems that you can't figure out when you just keep looking at the problem, but you step away, right? Kids whose parents exercise, exercise. 
Kids whose parents don't exercise tend not to exercise. So you're also teaching by doing. Same thing with your love relationships. All of it helps you to be a better parent authentically. Truly, truly makes a big difference. We're mm -hmm. fooling ourselves that we can be a great parent without taking care of these things. Many people in general who are trying to be high performers, uh, yeah. a lot of us are, we struggle with negative self-talk, which is crazy because we're usually encouraging to others, but we're pretty negative to ourselves. And then perfectionism, right? Yeah. How can we break those bonds as we're trying to take care of ourselves and trying to be better parents and relate to kids? Perfectionism definitely is a showstopper, right? Because it, I just named eight quadrants. And if you're a perfectionist, you're never going to leave any quadrant. You'll get in there and it's like you could just stay there all day trying to get it perfect. So it's really about one of the keys to being able to switch between these eight things we're juggling is to selective perfectionism and controlling our, and our perfectionism. And I have this technique that I developed that really helps because it's called Max Mod Min. And it helps you combat the perfectionism that comes with parenting and high achieving, which is perfectionism is all or nothing thinking. What is a perfect? It's like things are either spectacular or so bad, you never want to show your face in public again. There's only two versions. Amazing, I should get a reward and an award as the greatest dad, greatest worker, greatest husband, greatest wife in the world, or I am a, a shame to society here. <laughs> so... Max Mod Min helps combat that. So for anything you're about to do in any quadrant, in your job, with your kids, relating to your kids, teaching, exercising, time with your spouse, anything, before you do it, ask yourself to define three levels of performance. What's the maximum I could do? What's the minimum I could do? And what is the moderate? And you literally lay that out. You don't have to do that for everything all day, but anything that either threatens to consume all of your time at the expense of balance, right? Like exercise is a perfect example. So many parents I know, they're like, they used to exercise 90 minutes, three times a week at the gym. Now we're in a pandemic and they have kids. They're like, forget it. I might as well not exercise at all because I can't do it that way. I'm like, no, why don't you exercise for like 11 minutes every morning? five days a week, high intensity interval training, pull something off the internet and do that. That is better. And that's actually, you know, maybe that's the minimum, maybe even doing that three days a week is the minimum and moderate as you do that every day. And then once a week, you, you do a power workout. So you want to know that you have options and right size everything you're doing to the situation of the moment. Yeah, I think what I appreciate about the men mod max formula is it gives me a formula. Inaction is not a thing. So it's got to be something. We got to be we got to be improving. We got to take steps. And so giving yeah. that baby step to you can knock it out of the park, that helps guide it cuz you know, in choosing the right place that we need to be on the max versus the men is also helpful. It breaks the paralysis. It's not I'm not doing anything. And actually, sometimes you realize like the minute is all I really need to do here. The best parent example is always about like kids' birthdays. Your kid's birthday. You gotta you gotta make a cake. What is the max you could do? You could bake a cake from scratch in a three-dimensional shape of your kid's favorite cartoon character, and you could bury surprises so that each slice 
has a surprise in it, right? How long is that going to take you? You know, seven hours. The men, you can just get a ready-made sheet cake from the supermarket. And the moderate might be you make a cake from a cake mix. It gives you choices. They're all fine. <laughs> you said something about uh, really hit me up like a ton of bricks. So a couple of days ago was my seven-year-old's birthday. And I don't know if it's like in the rest of the country, but one of the ways that little kids have been celebrating birthdays in the Midwest has been these kind of car parades. They will come by and wave to you. And so my wife, who does everything to the max and inspires me daily, decided in the midst of being talent officer for her school district, she decided to go to the max and order all sorts of little goodie bag things, build the goodie bags, make them, get them out. And then when we got done that night, I've never seen that anywhere. She critiqued herself of like, I could have done more and she was breaking down. And so there was something that you were talking about how your max or what you think is inadequate, maybe blow somebody else away, right? Exactly, exactly. And to remember that when it comes to people, what matters most is your presence. And when we as parents spend all our time in the doing, it steals from our ability to be. And then if we feel guilty that we didn't do enough, that also steals from the moment, right? We don't have any time to spare on guilt or unnecessary work as parents. You want What you can uniquely do is be present with your kid, with your spouse, with people, bring your best presence and brain power to everything. So the more you can streamline the action items to just the smallest footprint, and know that it's good enough. It's it really is. Then that's that's really powerful. As great as that looked. Plus, you tell your wife you just she's also making all of her friends feel really inadequate. <laughs> that see to your point, she would never want to do that. Exactly. And I'm thinking, like I'm watching her just like work away. She gets home from work at like six o'clock. She's working the next couple hours on this as we're trying to put three kids to bed. And I'm just blown away by it. And She's so hard on herself sometimes. <laughs> you got to go easy on yourself. I'll tell you that the social media and the internet has really exacerbated people's self-comparison to others because all we see on the internet are snapshots. They're photographs of the good moment. You have no idea what happened before and after that. People's lives are so far from perfect. And, you know, we should all tone it back a little bit and just, just do the min or the mod, sometimes the max situational. Uh, thank you. So before we leave, one of the things that we really aim to do uh, on this podcast is to provide an opportunity for folks to take that first step to change. Because we know change can be hard, change can be messy. The question I want to make sure I ask is, what advice do you have for anybody listening, whether they're a parent, an educator, a teacher, or all the way work at the district level, or even not a parent, that we could take to start learning from your vision of leadership and your vision for time to, from time to parent. I do think they should go take the self-assessment because awareness is the beginning of where am I and being willing to self-reflect with no judgment on yourself. So you can say, wow, I'm spending too much time here and not enough time there. It's very enlightening and it's very empowering, right? So that's one. Go to the website and do that, juliemorgastern.com. I think the second thing I would say is to every parent build in a minimum of one daily self-care anchor 
in the day that does not include sleep, but during your waking hours, that is a 20-minute dose or less of self-care that you can build into the fabric of your own day. And if you are married, you work that out with your spouse. What's your 20-minute anchor? What's my 20-minute anchor? You cover for each other. If you start doing that, everything starts to fall in place, whether that's a 20-minute walk or a 20-minute hobby thing or listening to music or playing the piano. What is it that's going to ground you that you miss the most? And I promise you, you become more ready to relate to your kids. You become smarter about your work. You find more efficiencies in the arrange. You connect with your significant other. Start with that. Mm. Self-care first. Totally counterintuitive. Julie, thank you for first and foremost having the self-reflection years ago and the courage to dive into this space. And then thank you for putting this manual together for us to learn and grow from. It's definitely a life changer, as I've explained to you, and you'll be getting follow-up emails and calls from me about my journey through this. But I just know, in my opinion, and I've said this to the people that you know live around me here, every parent I know needs to spend time with this. And every educator, whether they have kids or not, needs to spend time with this because to your point, you can dive into the first four chapters or six chapters to really take the uh, assessment and learn a little bit about the time management ideas, but really quick read and so useful to everybody. So thank you for you and thank you for spending time with us here today. I hope we get to have you on again soon. It is my pleasure. I thank you so much. Everybody listening, don't be afraid. A lot of parents are afraid to read parenting books because they're afraid it's going to make them feel bad about what they're not doing well. This book will make you feel better about yourself. So do that. Don't be afraid. So true. It's probably why I'm so happy to talk to you. (laughs) All right, Julie. Thank you so much. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for joining us today. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.